Today's scripture reading is from Philippians 1, 12 through 26. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. In addition to your own Bible, you'll find the passage on the backside of your message notes or beginning on page 840 in the Worship Bible. Now, if you're able, please stand for the Word of God. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the Bible, of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, the whole governor's palace, and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretrent whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. This is the word of God. Please be seated. I suppose a lot of you have heard about people who have something of a life verse. You ever heard of like a life verse, a life Bible verse that kind of orients their lives? Some of you have heard of that. Uh, some of you probably can say, I have, this is my life verse, you know, uh, various ones that are used in the Bible that people can say, this sort of orients my life. I'm not sure I've ever really chosen a life verse per se, but if I were to choose a life verse among the top five and moving closer to the front all the time might be one of the verses in this passage. So I'm going to talk to you kind of personally about this verse and what it has come to mean to me, and I want to encourage you to perhaps consider it as something you would adopt as your own orienting North Star, the thing that matters you most in the world. Many lifers, I don't really have one, I don't suppose, but I do know that uh, when I discovered that one of my favorite verses, I think it was my dad's favorite verse is where I first came in. This is not the one I'm going to talk about today, but it's found in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And I discovered that it was actually printed as the note next to, the, uh, next to my baby uh, 
dedication certificate when I was dedicated somewhere in 1960 at Palmcroft Baptist Church down on Thomas Road, where it used to exist back in those days when my family was going there. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I've loved that verse, and I was so glad to find it printed. That's, not, that's one of them. Another verse that's been really important to me throughout the course of my life is something that, believe it or not, my new girlfriend gave to me. Her name was Donna. We were 16 years old. And she came up soon after we started to go together, within days or weeks, maybe a month or so. And she had printed out of her Bible at that point, having been in high school in the 1970s, many of us had the Living Bible. Remember that? The Living Bible. Uh, and uh, so she had found this verse. It's kind of been sort of a life verse for us as a couple, which in the Living Bible reads this way. Now, again, we're 16 years old. We've just been going together a few weeks. We are so glad that we can say with utter honesty that in all our dealings we have been pure and sincere, quietly depending on the Lord for his help not on our own skills. Good life verse for a couple, yeah. But those, are, and those are important verses to me probably as well. Uh, those two verses especially are significant. But there's this verse in here that just captivates me and has kind of oriented my life in many ways. And it is, in fact, the 20th verse of the first chapter, which says this, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, or to me, to live as Christ. This idea of Christ being honored in my body, the apostle saying, no matter what else happens in my life, no matter what happens to me, the important thing to me, it is my eager expectation of hope that I will have the courage now and every day always, so that no matter what happens, I will choose to honor Christ in that situation, even if it means I die, but also in it means in the way I live my life. I don't know when I first ran across this verse. I think it was when I was a young pastor, some uh, 35 or 40, however long ago it was, a uh, long time ago, when I was first looking at the book of Philippians. It struck me. I'd always known about verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Right? I mean, Philippians, in a lot of ways, reads like the Yosemite of the Bible. You know, in other words, you get a Yosemite and find all the great things God didn't have room to put into the United States of America, and he dumped them all into Yosemite before he got to the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean. You know what I'm saying? It feels like that. There's just so many, everywhere you look, it's so beautiful when you get to Yosemite. And everywhere you look in the book of Philippians, there are beautiful verses. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. Jesus. Um, uh, uh, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. All great verses in the Bible. And for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But this 20th verse is my eager, which of course immediately precedes that, is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Today I want to offer to you an earnest plea, a personal testimony, and a practical path to making your goal in life honoring Christ no matter whatever happens to you in every circumstance. First of all, an earnest plea. This was Paul's true purpose, to live to honor 
Christ. I want to encourage you to make that your North Star, to make that the thing which motivates you so that in every circumstance, in every situation, the fundamental question is, how can I honor Christ in this situation? Uh, uh, how can I honor Christ when someone cuts in front of me in the road, <laughs> right? Something as simple and as mundane as that. How can I honor Christ when I'm feeling so discouraged I don't know if my life is worth living? How can I honor Christ? How can I honor Christ when my marriage is falling apart? How can I honor Christ when I have so much money I don't know what to do with it? How can I honor Christ when I don't have enough money to do anything of value with? How can I honor Christ in every relationship? How can I honor Christ in my church, at my work? How can I honor Christ in this moment, in this day, right here, right now, in what I'm doing? It's a good purpose. It's a beautiful purpose. I'd suggest two things under this idea of this earnest plea. Living to honor Christ is your true human purpose. It's what you were made to do. It's how we are oriented deep within our lives, even as the, all of creation lives in honor, and of, uh, all, all of creation brings magnification to its creator. You and I were made to do that. That's how we are wired. That's what really is our true purpose. It is what we were made for. It is in him that our, he is the one who gave to us life. He is the one who uh, uh, empowers our lives. He is the one who is within our lives. He is the one who makes our lives meaningful. We are a shell of who we are supposed to be when we live to honor anything else besides Jesus Christ. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are made for thee and they are restless until they find their rest in the living to honor Christ is the one thing that you have which can never, ever be taken away from you. What if you live for your family? Well, bad things can happen in our families. And your life will be harmed very much when you, if you lose a family member or you go through difficulty. But, but if your ultimate purpose is to honor Christ in your family, you can honor Christ even as you stand by the grave of your loved one. You can honor Christ. That doesn't mean you don't grieve. That doesn't mean you don't hurt. That doesn't mean you sometimes don't have questions. But you can honor Christ. If, on the other hand, you lived for your loved one, and you lose that loved one, you've lost everything you ever lived for. And in fact, if you put your loved one at the very center of your life, you are making an idol out of that person. You're asking them to carry more weight than they're able to carry. And you will find yourself manipulating that person, uh, taking advantage of that person, because you need them more than you need anything else in the world. You will not be as good a husband, as good a wife, as good a mother, as good a father, if that human being is at the center of your life. Only God can be at the center of your life. Only God can be worshipped and then allow you to be free to love others. That's why the Scripture says, Whom therefore the Son sets free shall be free indeed. We choose to be slaves to God so that we will not be enslaved to anything else. Everybody's enslaved somewhere. Everybody worships. And you will be a better husband. You will be a better employee. You will be a better person, a better neighbor, a better Christian if the most important thing to you is Jesus Christ. And how can you honor him? Honoring Christ is what protects you 
from false purposes. It gives you poise. I looked up the word poise this week. It comes really from the word out of the Latin, which has to do with weightiness, balance. It's the thing which gives you the weight so that when things come against you, you are not bowled over. That's what it means to have poise. It doesn't mean that, uh, that uh, uh, nothing bad ever happens to you. It means when life goes haywire on you, you have a source of strength which gives you the ability to manage the situation with poise, with weightiness. You know, I don't know much about sailing, but I know they have a huge big thing underneath them. When you put those boats out, there's more weight under the water than there is out of that water. All we see is how it is out of the water. But it's not what's out of the water that gives that, that sailboat poise. It's what's under the water that keeps it weighted and centered. What is your center? What is the true thing under you? Yes. Putting, honoring Christ at the center of your life is your true purpose in life. It's what you were made for. It protects you from false purposes. It keeps everything in its proper place. You see, what happens to us very often, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's worth mentioning again, is we can take many good things and important things, and we can take something very good and very important, like our career, like our family, like our friends, like our pleasures, like our finances. All these things are good things. We can, we can take all those good things, and we can pick one of those, and we can make it the ultimate thing. And when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. It becomes an idol. The only ultimate thing in your life is meant to be the God who made you. And when you have God, the God who made you at the center of your life through the person of Jesus Christ, and your soul and fundamental desire is to honor Christ, all the other good things in life can have their proper place without manipulating you and controlling you and uh, becoming very terrible taskmasters to you. They're not meant to be your boss. The one to be your boss is Jesus Christ, which, of course, goes against everything we tend to think is true. I want to be my own boss. And that's what happened in the garden when the tempter came to the first humans and said, has God really said that you can't do something? Well, we can do everything we want to except for that thing. Oh, you know, you, God's holding out on you. He's trying to take something good away from you. He knows that if you take that fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like, God, what was the temptation to take the place of God for myself? So she took it and he took it and their eyes were opened and the whole world went haywire afterward. We began to feel this disconnect from the God we want to be a part of. We, don't want to be, we want God in our life. We just don't want him to be God in our life, <laughs> right? And relationships start to break down when Adam starts to criticize Eve and Eve the serpent and blame God for their relationship. And, uh, you know, and uh, creation becomes something I abuse rather than something I'm a steward of. Oh, so much comes because we've lost the true center. I'm pleading with you, live to honor Christ. That's what was going on for the Apostle Paul. He's writing this letter because it's basically a thank you note. 
from himself to this church which he loves. This is, I've discovered, I keep reading this every week, and I'm more and more impressed with how intimate and close he feels with these people. And when I read these words, I, I feel so happy because I feel so close and so much in love with all of you. Is it okay to say that in front of everybody? I'm so grateful. And I see in the Apostle Paul this love for that church. And in that church, he opens his heart. And he says more about himself than really in a lot of other passages. Only one other text does he say more than this, probably. Um, and so he's writing a thank you note to them because they sent to him money and food and a helper to help him. He's sending the helper back with a thank you note. And he's, no, and he's heard that they're worried about him because he's in jail. And that's why he says, I, I want you to know, guys, don't worry about me. Everything that's happened to me has happened, and the, and the gospel has been promoted. The gospel has been going on. I'm grateful for that. You can see the gospel really matters to him. And he says, I know some people are doing it for wrong reasons. They're doing it to make things hard. That's okay. Christ is being preached, and I'm glad for that, and I'll continue to be glad for that. According, And he says, yes, and I, uh, yes, uh, where was I? Um, uh, what, 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 what then? Only that in whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I, I will rejoice because, he says, it is my eager and ex expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that now with full courage, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ. The apostle Paul was imprisoned unjustly. He didn't know whether he was going to live or die. The Apostle Paul was probably chained 24 hours a day to a Roman guard. No privacy. No privacy to go to the bathroom. No privacy to uh, even sleep. He's chained 24 hours a day to a rotating series. of. Who wants that? He doesn't want that. He's got every reason to be frustrated. He's unjustly imprisoned. He doesn't know he's going to go on trial. He might even be condemned to death. He kind of thinks that's not going to be condemned to death. But he doesn't know. He's got, he, he's got all this going on. And then he discovers that, uh, uh, that there are people, his own brothers and sisters in Christ, who are preaching for the wrong reasons. They're trying to make things hard on him. But then he says, that's okay. Why? Because what matters to me most is whether Christ is exalted in my body. Christ has honored my body. Even if they take my life, they can't take away the one thing that matters to me most. I can honor Christ by my death. You see? Even if they take my life, it can never be taken away. I want to encourage you to live to honor Christ. And as I said, I, as I've thought through this week, I sort of went through, I'm getting a little old, I guess, and I'm kind of remembering this whole 58-year period of my life. I don't remember it all, of course, but this whole period of my life. And since the Apostle Paul in this text is so uh, uh, open and personal, let me just give to you a few ways that this has kind of worked itself out as a matter of personal testimony, my second main point. This is a very personal book. Uh, Paul talks about himself more in this book than in any other book, really, I think. Uh, maybe one other more, but this, I think, is the most. He loves these people. He shares his heart with people. And the, in this book, Paul says, in the third chapter, in the 17th verse, he says, imitate, imitate me, follow me. And in also chapter 4 and verse 9. So when I tell you to honor Christ, I'm saying this is something which I have been trying, not always successfully, to do for 40 years. You know, when I was 15, 
and finding myself interested in girls. And just like any other high school teenager, doing everything I could to get them to like me. And I began to realize that I was more interested in getting a girl to like me than I was in honoring Christ while I was doing it. Does that make sense to you? I know I was young, but still. In fact, I was a little smarter about this than some of you older people, right? And so, but I realized I couldn't. Uh, I, I didn't know how to be any way other than, uh, and what I discovered was that if a, if a girl was, uh, uh, if, if, if I was not interested in the girl, I could treat her like a sister in Christ just fine. But if I had an interest in her, all bets were off. Now I'm trying to be cool, right? I know, not very successfully, I understand. But, and I, I began to think this doesn't seem right. So I literally had to go to a certain girl, not Donna, and apologize to her because I felt I was not treating her in the way she wasn't even my girlfriend at the time. Why? Because I, and I said to her, I want to honor Christ. And I feel like I haven't been honoring Christ in my friendship with you. And so from that point on, I determined that I would stop trying to manipulate girls. Stop trying to be the cool guy. Stop trying to do that. And guess what? A few months after that, this young, beautiful girl from Chicago moves to Arizona. And I meet her at the front, and she became my wife. And our relationship from the very beginning, that's why that verse I read to you earlier, we are so glad that we can say with utter honesty that in all our dealings we've been pure and sincere, quietly depending on the Lord for his help and not our own skills, was part of our life right from the very beginning. Because our life began without hidden agenda, right? Honor Christ. When I was uh, uh, 16 and I began to sense that maybe God wanted me to go into the ministry, it was very difficult for me to make that decision. I just felt too young to know what I should do with my life. And I remember talking to my dad and then to my pastor and letting him know about that. I had hoped at that time that that meant I could quit football because I really didn't like the idea of perhaps being a senior on the football team and not being a starter on the football team. I didn't mind that I was a junior on the football team, and all I did was return punts and kickoffs. That was what I did um, on the varsity. But uh, uh, senior, I didn't want to be sitting on the bench, and so I wanted to use God as my excuse for not going out for football, which in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, in August is kind of a nice idea to not be playing football in August. But the Lord seemed to say to me, Steve, I want you to play football, but don't do it for yourself. Do it for me. Do it for me. And so this is very embarrassing, but I found this little black book. I read it for you a little while ago about my devotional time. I, Steve Gilbertson, on this, the 12th day of July, 1976, do hereby commit myself on the basis of 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whenever I'm involved in sports, such as football or baseball, to do it all for the glory of God. Live to honor Christ. It doesn't mean you stop being an athlete. It means your ultimate agenda has changed, and you are changed. And believe it or not, I actually went to the head coach during weightlifting a few days after this, and I told him what I decided. Sometimes you need to make a commitment public or become real. He gave me the same dubious look you can expect. <laughs> but I knew then that I was playing football, not for Steve, but for Christ. 
right? Honoring Christ. I'm going on to college a year or so later, and uh, I had played the guitar in my bathroom. That was about it, you know. But I was very afraid of playing music publicly. And in this story, I don't have time to tell lots of stories here. God began to challenge me to be willing to audition for a music group. And so I did. And the whole trajectory of my life began to change once I, to my great shock and surprise, was invited to be in this music group. And one of the reasons why music has been so meaningful to me is because I, it was an act of surrender for me in the very first place to go into that audition room feeling like I had no right to be there and being willing to just audition. In fact, as I've told a few of you, I never even checked to see if I made the group. Never even did. That wasn't the point. I did make the group. You see, living to honor Christ is not some pie-in-the-sky idea. It involves making hard decisions about the way you live your life. Donna and I were going together at 16, and we didn't marry until we were 20. And admittedly, it was a little bit of a different time period, but we made decisions about purity that we're grateful we made 38 years later after our marriage, honoring Christ. We went to ministry in a beautiful place called Pismo Beach. Ever been there? It's not a place you want to leave if you've ever been there. But the Lord seemed to say to me, it's time to move on. And so we made the decision to move to Indiana. When... Our second child was born at the age of, I was 27, we were 27. We discovered he had a life-threatening illness, which required ultimately two months of hospitalization when he was three months old. Very difficult time for us. And I remember when he was there in that hospital having the first of what were three surgeries to hopefully repair his left uh, right lung, I guess it is, not knowing if I'd even see him again writing this little tune. My child belongs to you, Lord, for you alone know best. His future is secure, Lord, my heart can lie at rest. I don't know what tomorrow will hold in store for us, but you are always faithful. In you, I always trust. Those were hard words to say when I didn't know. But I had to remind myself, this child was not mine, but God's. God had the right to take him if that was his choice. I'm talking about living to honor Christ in hard ways, but ways which make you a different person. Yeah. I wanted to start a church when I was about 29 years old. I was there in Indiana. We made every plan to start go starting a church, and we got refused to do it. The first time in my life that someone had really said no to me in something I thought I could do, wanted to do. And it was very difficult, very difficult for me to go back to the church to whom I had said, I think I might be leaving, and say, by the way, I think I'm staying. And then I was invited to come pastor a dinky little church in Arizona. I was in Indiana at the time. And at first, I poo-pooed the idea. 
because I knew something about that church, and I knew that it had a lot of problems. It was an older church. It had never grown, and I didn't want to be the Savior for a small church. I was 29, right? I was ready. And so I, in the, in the throes of having that disappointment about being, uh, having the door closed about planting a church, I scheduled a pr- little prayer retreat because I, re- I had lost my balance. I had lost my poise. This was really hard on me. I thought I was honoring God by being willing to start a church and then having it closed. I didn't know. So I would go on this prayer retreat for about three days in Ohio. And while I'm there, the Lord begins to speak to me as he tends to do when you take the time for this. And he said, Steve, you were willing to go where there were no people to start a church. Why aren't you willing to go where there are a few people to help grow a struggling church? Well, I knew the answer to that question. Pride. Pride. It's a lot easier to say about your church of 20 or 20 people or so, well, we just started a month ago, three weeks ago. We got this great vision. It's a lot more difficult to show up at a church with that, which at that time had about 25 or 30 people and know it was 15 years old. I didn't want to do that. And so then the Lord worked on me, and I knew that to honor Christ, we needed to go and to be a pastor in that church where we stayed for 15 years and had a beautiful ministry. Yeah. Oh, I got so many more little stories like this. And all I'm trying to say to you is that unless I am deeply mistaken, honoring Christ, choosing to honor Christ, is the best way to live your life. It leads you into paths you would never have gone, down difficult ways once in a while, hard choices that you sometimes need to make. But in the middle of that, your life begins to be shaped into the image of God, little by little, choice by choice, difficulty by difficulty. I think I gave you seven examples. I have 15 written down, but you'll have to wait for those another time. Because living to honor Christ needs to become like living and breathing in your life. And in a lot of ways, even just to start this church some six years ago, filled with fear and uncertainty. It was another way of saying, here we are, Lord. If that's what you want us to do, we'll do it. And I'm glad we did. I hope you are as well. Living to honor Christ is a purpose you can hang your hat on. I have more to say, and I'll just take a couple moments to talk to you about a simple path towards doing that that's based upon this text. First of all, if you want to live to honor Christ in the first place, respond to the gospel. Respond in faith to Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul thanked them for their partnership in the gospel. It was the gospel which united them in Christ. It was the gospel which gave them initial relationship with Christ, and you've never responded in faith to Christ. That's the first place when you take yourself off the throne and you say, my last act of my will will be to allow you to be the Savior and the forgiver and the leader of my life. I trust in you. Respond to the gospel. Number two, as you begin to encounter difficulties, you need to learn to repent of idolatry. It's very hard. Very hard. I remember 
at another point in my life, literally sprawling on the floor of a little chapel up by a new river, sprawling on the floor, weeping before God because of a decision I knew I needed to make, but which I feared would have a negative effect on one of my children. And I felt like Abraham with Isaac, having to make a decision which could cost my child dearly. And deciding that day, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, I will do it. Living to honor Christ can involve letting go. And my son, my Lord seemed to say to me, you know, what your son needs is not for you to pave his way to, to, to what it is he wants. It was a good thing. It was playing baseball. What your son needs most of all is to know that you will follow Jesus first of all. I was afraid he would hate God if I followed him. I had to let it go. We, when we run into difficulties, we will find ourselves often, often encountering good things like your child, your career, your, all these things, those things creeping up to the center place, and they've got to be taken down because they are good servants but not great masters. Repent of idolatry. And then he says here, I, I know you're, I, I'm trying to just really get, um, in verse, um, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. I, the help of the Spirit of Jesus. Count on the help of the Spirit of Jesus. Count on that help. When you make that decision, when you're asking God for wisdom, when you're trying to decide how to respond in big and small things, the Holy Spirit is right there. He says, I know that through the help of the Holy Spirit, I'll be able to honor Christ. I will be able to do it. Count on the Holy Spirit. And what that means for me is listen to what he's saying in your head and, and act on those promptings. Act on those promptings. Oh, I wish I could give you more examples. But if you really pay attention, the Holy Spirit can give to you promptings about what's right. I know it's easy to ignore, but rely on the Holy Spirit. Number four, commit to community. Respond to the gospel, repent of idolatry, rely on the Holy Spirit. Number four, commit to community. He says right there, uh, uh, verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, this will turn out. Through your prayers. What's that mean? That means he's let these other people have influence in his own life. And all the way through here, we see that there's a deep partnership, fellowship, kinship, connection between him and these people. That's why he loved them so. They were one people. A lot of us want to follow God just by ourselves. We don't want to be involved in any accountable relationships. We don't want to be involved in any community. No, you need to, as I mentioned to you earlier, I had to tell Coach Barnes of my decision. I had to tell it. I didn't want to do that. I felt as foolish doing it as you feel when you hear me say that. I felt silly doing that. But it felt to me I needed to do because I needed to be held accountable for that. I needed him to know if I was loafing in practice, I was dishonoring my commitment before God. See? I had to do wind sprints at the front of the pack, not at the back. Not to get noticed for good but to be honoring to God, right? A lot of you, are in, some of you are in small groups, which is a wonderful thing to do. And Bible studies are great things, but small group leaders and small groups 
Build community. Build community. Make it a safe place where you have conversations about your life. And then finally, respond to the gospel. Repent of idolatry. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Commit to community. And finally, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. These are so difficult. But I love what it says in another passage, and I can show you in the Philippians, but it's quicker to show me in, in the Hebrews, where the, the apostle Paul, not, where, where another apostle, probably not the apostle Paul, in the, in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, said, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us run with endurance the race marked out before us, chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is set on the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such sinners from hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary or give up. What does that mean? The apostle Paul is writing to these people who are discouraged, finding themselves in and he's saying, keep looking at Jesus. Keep looking at him. Keep seeing him. And look what he did. He endured the cross, despised its shame. He ran that race which was so hard to run. But why did he do it? He did it for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that kept Jesus going? What was the joy that helped Jesus walk into that, uh, that, out of the garden, into the hands of those guards? What was the joy that kept him thinking when he was carrying that cross up the hill? What was the joy that kept him going when he was hanging on that cross, looking at those people? What was the joy that kept him going that helped him to endure the cross and despise its shame? What was the joy? It was you and me. It was the reality that he was doing this for us. He was doing it to get us into his family. He was giving his life so we could respond in faith to them, to him. The joy that set before him, his ultimate prize, was welcoming, creating a new family, rescuing this lost and confused humanity. Consider him, how much he went through. He did it for you. He did it for me. You see, in many ways you could say, Jesus could say, for me to live is you. And to die is for you. That's why it's only natural for us to be able to say in response to that, well, Lord, with that in mind, for me to live is you. Will you live to honor Christ? Let's have prayer as we close. Father, Thank you for this beautiful reminder of the importance of honoring Christ. Oh, it's hard. We'll fail. We do fail. We don't get it right. But let us never give up. Help us to be willing to look unto you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Make it our earnest expectation and hope that with all courage, now as always, whether by life or by death, we will seek to honor Christ, the one whose life was given for us, to give to us new life in him. Thank you for his sacrifice of love for us. Help us to live to honor you, I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen.